So this time, when I approach the, this theme from the point of view of uh, replenishment, mm. a simple word, replenishing, replenishing one's what, chitta, one's heart, one's body, ideally replenishing one's life and one's ways of living, mm. so they're not draining, they're straining. Mm. giving yourself back to yourself, returning. And uh, you know, in, in mainstream practice, this is always um, considered almost you know, natural that one rejoices in one's good deeds. Uh, it's often says you always gladden, rejoice. You know, in other words, good good deeds are the results of good deeds. To be more accurate, results. That is the the resonances, the echoes, the perceptions, the, the signs, the quality of heart, the results from good deeds, is satisfying, replenishing, uplifting, and so therefore, one cultivates skillful deeds. Punya. Punya. It's not just uh, arithmetic, it's actually a felt juice, if you could say, refreshment, replenishment. Uh, and it's also the case that people do good deeds uh, but don't get replenishment because they don't necessarily, or their systems don't necessarily know how to linger in the results of the good deeds to actually drink in the results of the good deeds and it seems strange doesn't it <laughs> yeah, but this is the case uh, and so as I mentioned lightly or you know the kind of difficulties that the jitta of the heart experiences some are through one's own uh, foolish actions which distort its clarity and uprightness and other because of the actions of others which abuse and cause the jitta to be fearful or distorted or you know so there's a definite kind of uh, abusive effect this can be obviously direct physical abuse or a kind of sustained low level you know continual servitude continual kind of degradation you know of some kind or another and in a way we kind of also sign up for that when we uh, surrender our will to the authority of the machine you know, which does not regard us with sympathy or concern or empathy or fellow feeling but just orders, get a fine, orders, orders, you know, this kind of thing. Do this, do that, doesn't matter what you're feeling like, there's no sympathy there. So this leads into the other aspect of why there's a, the depletion is the withdrawal of empathy. It's not necessarily anybody did anything that bad, it's just they didn't do enough of the good. So the chitta doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't really 
doesn't know how to drink in its own goodness. Because it's learned to, you know, the withdrawal of empathy becomes a kind of a jitter gets established in that pattern till eventually you don't have empathy for yourself. How is this possible? Well, if we consider or review the nature of, of heart, chitta, as it comes into this birth, the awareness comes into this birth, this birth experience, it's you know, it's not a sense organ, it doesn't touch, see or hear anything, but it does resonate, it does feel the effects that picks up signs of welcome or lack of welcome, picks up those. So we look around with our eyes, very early age, and you see signs of benevolence or signs of hostility, or you get physical attack or harsh words. The words don't go in, but the effects of it, jitter, kind of pulls back. So in ways, it's energies which are kind of trailing out, opening out, kind of withdrawn. Clunk, clashing. You can you can feel this happening yourself. Somebody shouts at you, something jumps back. Right? You can feel it. This is not just some theory. And of course, uh, they're jumping back, and then you're a little bit more cautious about moving out again. Right? So in a way, and if that's sort of happens frequently, the jitter basically remains in that withdrawn, you know, state. It's like defensive. Mm-hmm. So that's with some kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, the lack of empathy. The jitter kind of energy sort of stream out to connect and, you know, and there's nothing there. There's no resonance there. There's, there's nothing that is gladdened or receives or acknowledges. So those channels that reach out begin to dry up because they're not fed by any empathy. There's no no sympathetic, nothing coming back the other way. Oh, good. Acknowledgement. So those those energies move out, but there's nothing there to receive them, so they just begin to wither. And so eventually it doesn't reach out. And so a person becomes rather withdrawn, or the jitter becomes withdrawn by these effects in an unhealthy way. And that experience, internalised, repeated and um, absorbed into, becomes the boundary myself. Mm -hmm. Fundamental self, you could say, that's who I am under the surface, or some degree or another. That's That's an aspect I call myself. And on top of that, Jitter still has to function in the world, so it builds up a kind of personality based upon that foundation that will do the the work that's needed to really act in the same way. That is, it's got defense strategies, it's got don't reach out to anybody else, you know, be on your own because you're not going to get it there. So it kind of operates in that way, and we get the person develops, the personality develops kind of having these reflex um, strategies or reflex patterns that are kind of reflexive, they're not carefully considered, they're just based upon gut instinct. Um, 
Um, so this creates the isolated person. And then that's called the self-view. You're very much incarcerated in a particular set of strategies whose only purpose in the end is just to keep itself going, keep itself intact, keep itself defended, keep itself you know, from not getting those negative messages. Doesn't want to reach out and find out there's nobody there and feel that terrible loss. There's no warmth there, so it doesn't reach out. It doesn't want to, to uh, uh, and so this is the isolated personality. Now, this is not necessarily, a, you know, an ultimate or final truth. It can be that there are occasions when that pattern changes a little. There's some trust or some friendship. Maybe you can go, oh, yes, you can. A bit. But that becomes dependent upon circumstances. So... Yes, okay, if I'm with good people long enough, I do feel I could, you know, reach out to this person, ask them a favour or something, tentatively. But I'm certainly well prepared for being turned down. And, you know, and if they do turn me down, I think, well, that's, that proves it, doesn't it? Actually, I don't really deserve it anyway. And it's a bit pathetic to be keeping asking people to serve me or help me or ask me for a favour or go out of their way. It's a bit pathetic. I should be stronger, more capable, more independent than that, surely, you know. We don't the idea that somebody else might rather enjoy offering uh, support or or counsel or advice or whatever doesn't really enter the picture. Even though all of us I would imagine find it rather enjoyable to to offer you know support counsel advice anything you know to other people from the heart because it allows our goodwill to kind of flow out so it's rather pleasant to do that but the isolated self and well, it you know it doesn't and even when it is flowing out doesn't the channels to receive it have become rather dry and thin yeah. and then if the person then comes onto their own being on their own yeah, then there isn't that support from others so they go back to the default aloneness and um, and in that isolated alone state of you know deprivation of goodwill there's not empathy so there's no empathy happening in the field so one feels rather bored or flat or negative and that's not very pleasant so the mind starts getting active to do things to get out of that rather flat isolated uncertain blank state so they get very mind starts getting active thinking about this thinking about that fantasies Grudges, tribunals, do this, do that, planning, because they keep the thing going. You don't just end up landing on that rather bleak territory of the deprived, deprived heart. Mm. Mm. 
So, working against that. This way, in that state, one concocts one's own suffering in that isolated or deprived or abused state one concocts one's own suffering there is no point there's nothing worthwhile there's nothing good going to happen for me I must prepare myself to meet the uncertainty means hostility the future is unknown but there will probably be difficulties in it so I've got to prepare myself to meet those difficulties I'm a little bit of a nuisance. I don't feel very good, so I don't want to impose myself on other people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get in the way and impose myself on other people. So we've defined other people as stingy, mean, <laughs> to whom you are a burden. They've never said that, but that's how, when you get into that state, your mind projects this as other people. I know the future is actually unknown one or another. We project it as probably hostile, not welcoming, all kinds of difficulties arise in it. And probably some difficulties will arise. And those are the things you notice. You don't notice the open doors, you notice the closed ones. You don't really notice the friendly gestures, you notice the offhand gestures. The mind is quite capable of building up, reiterating its own patterns looking for the data that will actually affirm its own patterns. Why did you do that? Well, this is a deep thing. It's called bhava, becoming. You know, there's something that Chitta wants to establish, a definite pattern, this is myself. This is myself. And so myself depends upon me and others. It's always two in it, me and the world, me and the future, me in the present, me in the future, me here and them there. That's so it does that. This is bhava. It creates a self and it creates others, and the otherness somehow justifies or replicates or fits into the self. So yeah, if I'm feeling negative, my mind creates people who don't really like me very much. And I think, yes, because you know, three years ago she said that. And yesterday we had a little bit of an argument about that. That proves it. Yeah, but that was only three moments in a lifetime. You know, if you pick up the ones that fit. This is Baba. It seeks to define, to create a profile. Uh, myself. And it's, it's, it's very quick. And the chitta is lightning fast to establish those programs. Mm. And so when the jitta is sitting on a negative pattern, then it establishes this bhava instinct, bhava tanha, remember? Tanha, craving for being something, sits on that. And it, okay, then this myself must be made permanent, solidified. Then I know what to do. Once I know how things really are, I can operate in the world. The way it really is, is I am a bit pathetic and, uh, you know, so, 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 okay, get used to that, then I can begin to strategize how to operate. 
And what I'll do is I'll pretend to be better than I am. Um, and I'll do all kinds of things. I'll do a lot of stuff, you know, to, to you know, do lots of really good stuff so that, you know, the real nature of my patheticness will not be evident. And so people get a lot of performance drives. And performance drives, all performance drives are, the shadow of a performance drive is, if you don't win, you're a failure. You know? So that's a performance drive. You know, it seems like there's the success there, but every success has failure as its shadow pondering after it. If you don't succeed, then you're a failure. <laughs> you know, so, so that performance, the possibility of succeeding is, is attractive, but, you know, failure if you don't succeed. Now, person in the contracted state will probably, in order to feel that they are, you know, they've got a way of, of, of becoming more firm and solid, will create a lot of performance to, to do things, to make things happen. And every performance carries a shadow of failure with it. You get 9 out of 10, that's not good enough. You should have got 11 out of 10. <laughs> you see this kind of like in, in athletics, you know, two people playing tennis, two teams, one's going to lose, obviously, competitive games. You see the winners, they'll just go, oh, wow, fantastic, wow, great, great. You know, the losers down the, on the ground, weeping, <laughs> crushed. <laughs> you think, oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, they're only the second best in the world. <laughs> so, crushed. <laughs> it's really unkind, isn't it, to do these things to people. <laughs> Competition. Performance drives competition, get things done so that, uh, you know. and though this is what the person overachievers doing this kind of syndrome, and then when you can't achieve, there's a kind of descent to this rather failed, depressed state. And this is what doing, there can be a lot of doing that streams from this bhava tanha. It's bhava tanha, it's bhava experience to be something. Therefore, I do something in order to be something. Yeah. But, although I do something, the channels or the nerves that would pick up results of those deeds and think, oh, you know, you tried really hard. That was very beautiful. They don't exist because the empathy has been withdrawn. The channel of empathy, the channel of positive feedback on a heart level has been thinned or withdrawn or minimized. And so this is the, We notice the not good enough, and we don't notice the good enough. In Dhamma practice, you really shouldn't think in terms of results like that, successes or failures. You shouldn't really think of successes. It's not just about being modest. It's about looking after yourself, 
because every success has failure trailing behind it, or conceit, I am this, and both of those are extremely unwholesome um, effects, definitely. You don't need to have that word success or any idea of it. There's a more satisfying warming that can arise. It's called mudita. You've heard, probably heard the term mudita, one of the four measureless states. Mudita. And translated as appreciative joy or sympathetic joy or gladness, rejoicing, appreciation, these kind of terms. And with this, there's an appreciation uh, which is not about the self, it's an appreciation that Dhamma, that, that quality is a good quality. Mm, feel it. That quality, I'm not saying I'm a fantastic person, I have to be a fantastic person, but that quality of, of endeavour, that very quality, has got a nice, fruitful, generous, engaged, interested quality to it. That's rather beautiful. So you pick up qualities, and you can pick them up say here, you know, here and then there. Oh look, she's really doing that. That's, you see that, that dedication, that devotion. And you pick up the quality and you resonate with that quality. You're seeing it happening. And you delight in the good deeds of others. Rather than jealous. Or, oh, she's so much better than I am. No, that, no it's, that quality is a beautiful quality. Wherever you see it happening, you know, in yourself, in others, in the past, there's a sense of the heart picks up that quality. Yeah, this is this is a significant shift to train oneself to come out of this as best one can out of this personality constructing, this self constructing ahankara. Ahankara means to construct the self. Um, but when in fact there's no real need to do that. You know, the heart works perfectly well without having a label, a name on it, an identity on it. In fact, it generally works rather better. Because there isn't something to, did I do as good as I did yesterday and what other people think of me and uh, how long can I keep this going? Is this really truly me or am I just putting, you know, this, I was like this yesterday but today I'm not. And say so this is the quality of doubt, mm, not to be cherished, to be seen, to be, you know, to withdraw energy from. This is the quality of, of aspiration. To be lingered, be celebrated, enjoyed, tasted. Isn't it rather nice? Sweet? Mm. Now, whether your aspiration is just to, you know, to a fairly modest action in the outside world, you know, in terms like just to sit still, doesn't seem like that big a deal, but actually not many people can do it. <laughs> not many people can sit still with no stimulation for 10 minutes, actually, without some music playing or something to do. 
you, know, you look, you go to an airport, if you have one of the airports, people are sitting there and very few people can just sit there. It's got to be looking at their phones, their screens, reading books, magazines, wandering up down, buying something, eating something. It's all, nobody's doing anything criminal, but who can just sit there absorbing in the goodness of what they've done or the goodness of others that's been shown to them? Taking in food for the heart. <laughs> Not a bad idea, huh? <laughs> Rather than food for stimulation of the senses, yeah? Stuffing more ideas into the mind, yeah? This is stimulation of the senses. Why not food for the heart? And reflecting on you know, the stillness or the quietness or the even the act of witnessing and showing up for yourself, meeting yourself, meeting this stuff is already a noble endeavour. So this is really. Um, what do I say? It's an important part of practice. In order to get the food, food for the heart, and it's also transformative because for this way we're beginning to shift some of these deep-seated negative formations. And uh, the beauty of mudita is, you know, you can just appreciate the elegance of a cat. You don't think the cats are a paragon of virtue, but they they know how to move quietly, and that's kind of. And this is low-level mudita appreciation, but see what I mean? You're feeling some empathy for creatures the way they operate, the way that beavers build dams, provided they don't do one in your back garden, of course, um, <laughs> the way that birds build nests, uh, the amazing resilience of nature, you can feel a sense of, wow, that's amazing how they do that. And this is kind of, you know, we say low level mudita, but it's at least you're forming a resonant relationship to their created world and if you begin that way in knowing that then maybe there's a chance you could say oh the way the breath fills the body by itself without me doing it and it refreshes and cleans as i breathe out so i can have mudita the sense of appreciation of just the simple thing breathing in and out. If you approach it not as myself, and this is this is the key. Once it's myself, it's got to be good breathing. It's got to be important. It's got to be a serious practice. It's got to get me good results. I better get good at breathing. I want to make sure I get every little moment of it properly set up straight. And which particular system of breathing should I use? I control it or not? Or Focus on the particular points so they can get the best results. This is self-breathing. This is not a body breathing. You see how this self thing colonizes experience and then 
cramps it in accordance with its own patterning. As you might notice very much just in the you know the body itself, what you see, you might probably see the features you don't like very much. It could be look better. And as maybe as you sit, your body feels kind of you get the sense of that that closure of energy that's occurred from the jitta being contracted through various kinds of abuse or just not refreshed because of the withdrawal of empathy. So your energy feels quite tight or flat, your body feels compressed. And that's that's the self body. Now we really want to, rather than doing mindfulness of breathing, just to find out, as a matter of interest, how does a body breathe? What happens to it? And take take the self out of it. Now, you might agree that's a good idea, but I can't take the self out of it, because as soon as I witness it, the self comes in witnessing it. The self is the one who's watching it. You know, you had four or five seconds when it felt good, and then, oh, oh here we go. I'm witnessing myself meditating. <laughs> Do you know that? This self-conscious stare. Okay, well, let's see if we can change that. Yeah. And it's interesting that the um, the self-experience... Uh, it's often associated with seeing things. I see myself. Because seeing is the least empathic uh, relationship. Right? You can see something, it could be you know, 10 feet away, so what? And it can't see me because I'm peeking out the window or it can't see me. There's no necessary relationship there. It's just an object. Now, hearing is a little closer because when you hear something, your attention is recognising that sound is something coming around me. It's, It's associated with not so much object definitions, but it's going to affect me. Coming within earshot, it's coming closer. It's going to affect me once a little more alert to that. Now, when you get down to the tactile sense, relationship is not not a choice. It's happening. You can't touch something without it touching you, right? impossible. When you touch something, you immediately get a feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, not very pleasant, distinctly unpleasant, highly agreeable. That happens. There's no choice in the matter. So if you touch something, it touches you. So there's, okay, you don't see it as an object, you feel it entering your chitta. You feel the resonances entering your chitta. You can see something, and so what? You can't touch something, and so what? You touch something that's cold, warm, soft, bright. Immediately, you're picking it up. It's entering you. 
that's coming into your chitta. This is the bodily sense. And of course, we're quite sensitive about what touches our bodies and who touches our bodies and in what circumstances because it's highly reactive responsive now i'm not suggesting we have to you know continue massage ourselves but maybe if the approach to meditation wasn't to witness the breath it was just to touch it to feel it happening in, your, in through the muscles, the tissues, and cooling, the warming. So rather than being something we witness, it's something that moves right through us. That you can't get much more intimate than a breath. It's right here within the body, and it's moving the body to open and close. How does it feel? And the feeling of the breathing. Is, its breathing is not aggressive it's um, it, it doesn't demand anything it doesn't say I want anything out of you it just breathes and its nature is to suffuse suffuse the system the energy suffuses the system take a deep breath you feel everything sure bright enough that's a suffusion hmm. unusual word perhaps suffusion, pervasion these are the terms associated with breathing and also with metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. One suffuses, pervades the entire world. One doesn't witness it. You don't slap some mudita on things. You suffuse. It's rather like steaming, you know, like steaming dumplings or something. You let the warmth saturate. This is really deep empathy. It's not extremely heightened sense pleasure, but the quality of suffusion is agreeable because the boundaries begin to relax. The boundary of myself begins to relax. The, the sense of is it okay, am I safe, begins to, if we suffusion with goodwill, that can, that can relax. So the defence boundary, protecting because of abuse, that we can begin to soften if we breathe into that defence boundary. You suffuse it. It doesn't mean you punch holes in it or you dismiss it. You just, that's fine, you're feeling a bit tight. That's really okay. That's how it is. Good reference. How is that? Thank you for looking after me, but right now I don't think it's necessary to defend myself or become something. Instead, just let this body breathe through that. Suffusing. And uh, mudita suffuses the sense of gladness, appreciation. I appreciate having a breath. If I didn't have a breath, I'd be in deep trouble. Mm. So when we review it like this, we can begin to pick up a sense of, oh, you know, somebody's sent me some flowers. Didn't have to. I could get by without them. 
It's not like I'm someone who's desperate for flowers, a pathetic person who's a flower addict, the people are trying to deal with my flower addiction because <laughs> I'm so I can't stand to be without flowers. No, it's not it. And I don't need to have flowers, I'm fine. I'm a renunciate. <laughs> I'm not attached to flowers. No, like that's not the point. The point is somebody sent you some flowers. <laughs> Can you just open up to that? Without having to make some self-statement about whether you need it or worthy of it or beyond it. Just there's a, a generous an act of suffusing goodwill. So just receive. Anamodana is the expression. Anamodana, the word anu means together with. Mol, moldy is mudita. So I, I resonate in appreciation of your goodwill. Yeah, pick up that. That's beautiful. Anamodana. Because it's an extension, a free extension of the heart. And one can receive that without feeling embarrassed. Am I good enough? They don't know the truth about me. Am I really living up to what? You know, stop, 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 stop. Just get simple, you know. Take the self out of it. There's a good Dhamma coming this way. Can you open up and let it in? Right. Without feeling that you don't deserve it or all those kinds of you know, starvation issues. Which are bound up with these familiar patterns because the funny thing about Bawa becoming and self, it, it doesn't have to be that good. As long as, as long as you can keep going back to it. So you can have a sense of a wretched self, but still you keep going back to it because you know where you are. You all get oriented <laughs> around the pattern, the fixed pattern. And so it acts like a gridlock. Saying, oh right, I should really try to be more loving. That's what I need to do, develop more loving kindness. And I need to develop more, because I'm not a very loving person, I must admit. I try, I try to do good things, but I don't really feel very much like loving people. It's just a bit over the top, actually. I mean, this loving stuff's a little bit kind of woo woo woo. You know, in fact, I'm not really a very loving person at all, actually. So, I'll try. Okay, thank you, Mum. Thank you, Dad. Uh, great. <laughs> it doesn't seem to really work. <laughs> Because it's the self that's doing it. That's why. <laughs> it's another performance of the self. Trying to do the right thing. <laughs> and so we want to come almost beneath that construction. Just the simplicity of there is a, there is, you know. And how does it work? How does empathy work? It's a very almost cellular level. Here's a being. There's a being. It's called a cat. It's called a bird. It's called a person. People are sometimes a bit more difficult. So you start it with animals. There's a being, an animal. Oh, I think I like to feed it or stroke it. Or, you know, or if it's hurt, I'd like to you know, take its pain away. Why? Well, it's because it's natural, isn't it? That's called karuna. You've just developed karuna. 
compassion because it was natural once you saw the creature as a creature as a fellow sentient creature subject to pain suffering death you know, then immediately on that level you know, it just opened but if you thought will the cat will he think i'm imposing on him if i start to stroke him will he think it's kind of abusive will he accuse me of sexual abuse if i stroke the cat or is it an impingement on his rights as a free feline after all you don't want to be too you know and who am i to go around stroking cats some kind of pathetic instinct i have we must never look at that self got in there again so, so you want to get down to that first moment before the pattern starts establishing itself that immediate sense of contact and empathy and it's just rest there you don't have to do anything actually you don't have to stroke the cat feed the cat anything or even like it just just stay there sensing the creature so the empathy quality and not doing once you do stuff it's very likely if your first instinct is to do something that's pretty much the footprint of itself your first movement is just to pause and receive be touched be the recipient be touched not do be touched by that sense of you know, fellow creature who's not harming you Well, animals are easier because with human beings there's so many loaded perceptions you know will you be embarrassed if I say something nice will she feel I'm trying to take her over if I say something is it going to be embarrass them will I be imposing myself or am I making a fool of myself being so emotional Better not to do very much at all actually <laughs> just rest for a while and get the sense of being gladdened by the presence of others comfortable gladdened by the sense of others mm. sensing it appreciating mudita and that natural rising in the heart of oh may they be well so we put aside the doing and receive resonances which are quite natural and so you starting to allow this natural empathy which was perhaps truncated or or withdrawn to sort of move out as far as it wishes don't have to push it not trying to be empathic just noticing when it can occur it's like a more like a feeling sense mm. And this is the measureless states they're called this is the nature of that chitta realm you see chitta doesn't really do measurements the measuring mind is called manas which is the organizing linear object secretary mind and the chitta is more like the heart it doesn't really do lines it does suffusions, qualities, moods, feelings, impulses, 
but it doesn't operate according to time. It's neither punctual nor laggardly. It's just it operates in its own time. And it's not really to do with time. Jitta can experience results of deeds done years ago. It's not about. It's not stuck in time. It's, it's in a, a realm where those boundaries of time don't exist. The past is not finished as far as jitta is concerned. It's in the karmic field. That which has affected you, that which has given results, that's there for good or for bad. Now we want to actually connect to that field and obviously there may very well be painful circumstances within that karmic field. And you really, as far as your doing goes, you just steer towards where the good stuff is. They looked after me. She helped me. There is a Buddha, there is enlightenment, there is a teaching, there is a way, you know, there is faith, you know, there is. Other people realize liberation, mudita, or even there is other people suffer compassion. So we kind of do a little bit of action, it's just to move around, turning this empathic sense around to where we can pick up the signs when naturally, instead of our defensiveness or our woundedness or our need to be something happen we can just be simple simply loving you know? and so this is considered a duty really to feed the heart on the good deeds and you've done and the fundamental pass mark in Buddhist practice is just to refrain from doing bad ones <laughs> you know, so it's not like you've got to do an amazing amount of fantastic stuff. It's just stop killing. <laughs> and you got through a day without killing anything. That's considered well, a bit of good stuff there. You, there's a quality of non-aggression, non-violence. Take that in. Yeah. You've uh, not taken something. You've respected others. You've uh, not deceived or lied or slandered or cursed not got drunk you know. so it's the basically it's the past mark is just the not doing you know as it says in the suttas it's great gain for me it's great gain for me you know borgasampada the richness i have refrained those evil dhammas have not taken over my mind they could have done they do in the human realm people get taken over some absolutely horrific brutal conditions Oh, that has not taken me today. Oh, it's a great gain for me. Yeah. And it's a great gain for me that I have a line, a teaching that gives me the signals of what to follow. I'm blessed because you, people can go seriously, seriously wrong. Yeah. And so that, even just picking up that. And I may generally you know, make a practice every day spending some time, perhaps at the end of the day, reflecting on things to be grateful for. Very modest practice, 10 minutes just, oh, you know, food came today, I was nourished. And that monk helped to clean my room, that was nice. Yeah. The managers of the retreat worked around to try to make things convenient, simple for me. That's really beautiful, they really worked on it, that's lovely. So it's not, it's not that difficult. 
but we can so overlook it like well that's his job that's what he's supposed to do and you know <laughs> the food turned up it wasn't that great and <laughs> you know because we, we can always imagine something better but to appreciate what goodness that arose without me pushing for it and pressurizing and forcing and cajoling and seducing or Mudita, Anamodana, Anamodana, rejoicing in that. This is a nice thing to do. It replenishes. It takes you out of the misery that you can perceive. Um, now, one of the qualities that's considered essential uh, in pursuing Dhamma Path is called Viveka. This monastery is named after it, Jitta Viveka. And uh, this can be translated as non-attachment. It's, it's not, not a translation I use because um, it can give rise to the impression you shouldn't contact anything. Nothing should touch you. You're not attached. You know. And for people who have issues around lack of plenitude, then it's non-attachment actually affirms their negative withdrawal. I'm not attached to people, I'm not attached to the world, I withdraw from it. Yeah, so it's, it's not a positive withdrawal, it's a contraction or out of the empathic basis, which is the basis the Buddha, let's get this straight, this is the basis the Buddha taught from. Anukampa, the Buddha teaches out of this empathy. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that should be a good sign that it's good stuff to do. <laughs> right? So well, let's look again at what this Viveka could mean. And it really, like, sometimes you can make it's a certain withdrawal, but it's a positive withdrawal. It's a withdrawal from gratification, from negativity, from sleepiness and dullness. It's a withdrawal from corrupting influences. That's what we're withdrawing from. Not from everything, just from the, the bad stuff. Sound like a good idea? <laughs> yeah. But it takes a bit of effort because there's something insidiously addictive about the way the jitter has got so established in its habits, it just jumps jumping into the, to the, to the strange stuff. It's called addiction or clinging. It's programmed to, to return to these addictive stuck patterns, even though they're, they're damaging. So withdrawal actually takes a bit of effort to stop. And addiction isn't just about addiction to sweets or drink or liquor. You get addicted to yourself. To reiterating your old self pattern, in like any other addiction, it doesn't. It's not good for you, but it's a reflex. There's some unconscious sense in which this would do me good. This unconscious sense is called tanha craving. It just plummets, plunges into the fixed pattern of being something. And if that fixed pattern is negative, never mind. I'll plunge right into it again. It's a, it's an addiction to self. Yeah. Right. Now we're not withdrawing from chitta. We're trying to cultivate ways we can withdraw from this self-pattern. 
self-obsession. Now, some of that indeed can be about reaching out and gratification. For some it's about innate, deeply embedded ill will. And this ill will uh, takes various forms. Obviously I can be snappy and angry and miserable and depressed. But also I can feel every, nobody else around cares for me. That's, that's a kind of ill will. We, we infer hostility. We infer the potential disapproval of others. We look we're as if they're looking to disapprove us. We infer a lack of welcome of others. So this kind of low-level hostility which we're defending ourselves against. And one gets addicted to that. So to withdraw from that is indeed a skill and is an endeavour. How do we learn it? Well, we learn it through, like any other apprenticeship, you've got your, your fixed models to work at. Yeah. So, okay, let's work at, say, keeping the senses open, the eyes, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body. Just withdraw from reaching out into them. And also withdraw from shutting them down. So you just stay at the door, if you like, just stay at the door. Because one form of addiction is to completely close everything down. It's called vipava, annihilation. So we're not going into that, nor are we going to reaching out into it in a kind of grasping way, nor are we closing it down. We just stay at the door, open, and you feel those energies of, what should I be doing now? What should I be doing now? This is kind of funny. Maybe I should I should be concentrating. I should be medit. I should be should be doing something. I should be doing something. I don't know what it is, but all we should be doing is relaxing into that door where you're not going into your mind, you're not going out. You just Acknowledging mental currents as they flow past, visual objects as they go past, and you stay. And after a while, you cultivate it, it gets to be rather pleasant because it's peaceful. It's peaceful. It's kind of poised. It's not sleepy. It's bright, alert, rather peaceful. And from that perspective, you can actually witness things a lot more clearly. You can feel things a lot more fully. Because you're not narrowed down into some particular object. So you feel the whole field of your body kind of throbbing, pulsing, mind doing its thing, uh-huh. sights and sounds, poised in that doorway, non-disengaged but not closed down. And, you know, the Buddha's practice, this was the foundation of meditation. He says, when the mind is withdrawn from unskillful states, once it's settled, it became stable. 
when it was withdrawn from unskillful states, it began to steady and become calm and stable. I haven't got the quote with me right now, but that's that's the process. And so then when it is settled and stable, then I picked up mindfulness. Because now the view is straight. Yeah. You see the pulsing, flowing, reactive experience. You see the arising of good and bad. You can feel beautiful qualities, ugly qualities. You can sense them. So this is the good. That's the brightening. That's tangling. This is easing. This is spacious. And your mindfulness is based upon right view. Your view is straight. You see, you, you know, therefore, one is, feels that sense of the happiness of clarity. The happiness of clarity you know, and steadiness. Mm-hmm. Then I turn my attention to in and out breathing from that position. This is quality, breathing in, breathing out, sensing it, feeling it from that position. So from that disengaged or withdrawn. When withdraw, you say again, you can withdraw to your upright axis if, you, if we're looking at that particular frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And then through that, the staying in that and the ease of the breath flow, the hindrance of ill will has no room to get hold. The hindrance of greed sense of desire has no, nothing to get hold of because we're not we're not engaging with the senses not, and we feel quite comfortable where we are the interest of dullness and sleepiness has no room because I'm quite bright and alert in that balance the interest of restlessness has got no room because I'm quite stable the interest of doubt has no room because there's nothing I have to figure out my mind is free from trying to find answers Therefore, there's nothing to doubt. With the removal of these five hindrances, a quality called piti, rapture, arises, and the mind settles into a state called jhana. Jhana, which is a deepening, absorbing, it settles into this field of jhana. And then, this again is food. And uh, this is where the quality becomes almost erotic. So somebody asking about the erotic, erotic love. Well, you know, you think, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing we do as monks and nuns. But um, this is a sort of, you could say, it's a trans, transmuted or transformed because it certainly is energy moving through the body tissues uh, of, a, of a rapturous nature. And here's... Uh, description, let's say the first jhana. This is those of you who are interested in this level of things. This is 39th Sutta Majjhima Nikaya. This is chapters 15 to 18. I won't read it all. But having abandoned the five hindrances, secluded or withdrawn from unwholesome states, abides in first jhana. 
So what is this? Well, it's accompanied by a certain level of thoughtfulness in noticing, was that? Mm-hmm. taking it in, directing, listening, taking that in. Um, rapture and pleasure that is generated through this act of withdrawal, in this kind of gentle poise, refreshment. And makes that rapture and pleasure drench, steep, fill and pervade this body. So there's no part of this whole body that is unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure generated that arises from the vacuum. Saturated. And this gives the image of a person getting bath powder, mixing it with water and giving a sponge to it. It's comes all frothy. So it's like the tissues are saturated by this quality of bright energy and so it goes on notice there's no word there for concentration so you're not concentrating the mind in order to get into jhana no you just get into viveka and withdraw from the five hindrances and the contentment and ease of that mind settles and stabilizes and the happiness of that is called the first jhana first depth meditation absorption they, they go on you know and you don't want to take up too much of your time but you can look it up for yourself the image of bathing in water second jhana bubbling water like being in a hot tub flooding through the system you know, being swathed in cool white cloth in a hot climate coolness and ease fourth jhana these are embodied states and they are pleasant and they are feeding they're nourishing this is why the Buddha recommended them because then you're getting your food from a wholesome source a source that's not doesn't have to be derived from buying something or making something it's a source that's derived from the jitta itself as it begins to cast off its shadows and, and, and dents and constrictions. Mm-hmm. So this is our practice. Is to and based upon these, it says when that mind is refreshed, purified, it sees things clearly. It starts to see, you know, not self. Why bother with that? It starts to see the path of letting go. It starts to really understand deeply craving and the cessation of it and it moves towards liberation. But even on a very uh, mundane level, everybody's exhausted. Everybody's depleted. The world sucks juice out of you. And... Uh, and think you can you can't fill yourself up by doing all kinds of stuff. You know, fill yourself up by releasing the obstacles so you can sit and drink in the goodness of your practice, the goodness of your dhammas. This is a duty and a skill and a cultivation. So Whatever's been useful, follow the resonance in your own heart. 
maybe one or two points have been meaningful in that. Or the resonance, the effects in your own heart. That's all you have to do. Take that first. Don't think you've got to rush off and do practice. Just allow that to enter you, whatever's been good. And when it comes to a place where you feel settled, and see what feels like what could be interesting in this simple restrained way that, that keeps the sense of restraint within the field witnessing, observing, handling, body, mind, thoughts, moods, living simple, keeping it simple. So I'll offer this for your consideration today.